desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with Dead Sports TV Radio. Uh, so joining the High Desert Hotline for this episode is NBC Sports Bay Area's Ahmed Farid. Ahmed's travels have taken him from Michigan to Syracuse to, uh, I think it was Hampton Roads, Virginia, uh, to the MLB Network in New Jersey, and uh, for the past few years, the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and this year, Ahmed uh, began co-hosting the pre- and post-game shows for San Francisco Giants baseball. And uh, now he is back home to Michigan, uh, where you are currently, where Ahmed is uh, currently enjoying the MLB All-Star break. Ahmed, welcome to the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Robert. That's uh, that, I'm exhausted hearing all that traveling all around. I guess that's what we do in this business. <laughs> uh, well, you know, let's uh, let's get started with the Giants. So first of all, I'll disclose that uh, I've been a uh, a Giants fan, a big Giants fan for going on uh, 20 years, and uh, uh, this season you are. The good news is you got a, a, a really a premium gig in uh, co-hosting the. Uh, the pre and post game shows. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is the giants aren't very good this year. Uh, but I, I give you guys credit, uh, for some reason, I feel like I've had as much fun, at least as much fun, uh, watching, maybe it's hate watching, but, uh, watching this season, uh, as I had last season when they were much better and, and competitive and made the playoffs. Uh, how has it been? How's it been getting such a great gig? Uh, but then, having the Giants be not so great this year. Well, I'm glad to hear that, too, because we're, you know, we're trying to you know, still have as much fun as we, as we can on there. Yeah, so basically, they told me at the beginning of the year, they go, hey, congratulations, you're going to be doing uh, the Giants. Now we did a highlight show before then, and I'd been doing that for four years, kind of the, the Bay Area highlight sports show for four years before, but that uh, we got rid of that. And so they go, hey, Ahmed, you're going to do the Giants. You're going to do it with Dave, Dave Feldman. And uh, they go, good. Okay, it's going to be an hour. Our pregame and our postgame, we're expanding it, so more TV time, good, good. But, yeah, you're right. They didn't say the team's going to be not very good at all. They, that, that part they left out, although I, I, I don't believe they, they knew, like all of us. But it's been, yeah, it's been, it's a great, I, I've really enjoyed learning on the job because I've never, you know, even though I've done all the things, worked at MLB Network, kind of covering all 30 teams and uh, working the local news and Hampton Roads, Virginia, Norfolk Tides, baseball there. It, it, nothing is quite like being just dedicated to one team and being injected right into the fan base of one team. Um, and so I've really enjoyed it, even though it's been such a such a rough go for the Giants, and I think we're all stretching our heads how it's all, all happened. But as far as doing the process of a TV show, Robert, I, I feel like I've learned a lot in, in three months here, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've you've enjoyed it because that was a big part going into the year even before we knew that it wasn't going to be a great year for them is that we wanted to try to we're going an hour we wanted to try to be informative be the smartest show out there but at the same time uh, have a lot of fun and hopefully it just translated onto tv and i'm glad to hear that that some people are liking that uh yeah i mean so i'm i'm, I'm definitely not uh liking all all of the play that i see on the field but uh uh you know the the in-game production and the pre and post game uh and the radio side uh, you know, despite being a bad season, they, I think they've, they've all had, uh, all had pretty good runs this year. Um, you know, NBC barriers, baseball production for the giants games themselves and, uh, and for the pre and post game has, has been exceptional really probably for decades and, and they don't skimp on the pre and post game either. And, and like you said, they've expanded it this year and you've got a, a sort of a big rotating cast of, uh, former players and coaches, 
that uh, that that come through. I think uh, let's let me I'll name rattle off some names: Vita Blue, Bill Lasky, Sean Estes, uh, Tim Flannery, Matt Williams, Rich Aurelia, among them. And they're all you know they're all really good on TV. Uh, and as rotating Casco, it's a great mix, and I'm sure they're all a lot of fun to work with. And from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like uh, that brings up any any chemistry issues with the you know the rotating cast. Uh, but what are the challenges for you as a co-host with a with a rotating cast like that? Yeah, and I think that's part of you think going into it, you know, because with our Warriors coverage, it's the same group every time Greg Papa and Greg right. St. Jean, Clint Osbuki. I mean, they, they've got a real rhythm down, but they also don't play every day. And so I think with baseball, it's just crucial. You know, just it's it's not, it's so every day and it's so long that it, you would just burn out your analysts right. so quickly if you just went with them uh, every day. So there are those that, that we see a lot more. You know, Sean Estes has a lot of dates with us. Tim Flannery, who was a third base coach for years and the three championship runs, does as well. Um, but, yeah, I think it is, you, you know, that was the, my biggest challenge coming in is I, I knew all these guys and I'd worked with them before and I'd done segments with them before, but I'd never worked with them this much. Um, and so how was it going to be chemistry-wise when you don't work with them necessarily every day? They come in for a series or two and then you, you kick them back. But I, I think what they all do well, and honestly you, you talk about the, the broadcast and, and kind of the vibe they have with that, Crook and Kipe, and they're the best right. in the business at doing it. It's just a, a very relaxed broadcast where no one takes themselves too seriously they take the subject matter seriously but not to an extent where it it just feels like you can't be yourself and you can't have fun with it and you can't joke around with it and so i think by extension our our post-game and pre-game shows are that way as well to where no one's no one's taking themselves too seriously um everyone's willing to to go outside their comfort zone a little bit and have some fun. But at the same time, we want to make the smartest TV show around. And these are all baseball people. And Tim Flannery knows the ins and outs of that team and, and has been around baseball for so long. Sean Estes, I don't think there's anyone that knows, you know, pitching, you know, strategy better than he does and what pitchers right. are trying to do out there. So I think they all have bought into the fact that we're trying to do a super smart baseball show, but at the same time, we're trying to not take ourselves too seriously while we're doing it. And I, and I think, if you buy into that and that no one's trying to take the spotlight from anyone else and we're trying to open it up so everyone can have their moment, I, I think everyone just enjoys being part of the show in that respect, and that it just adds to the chemistry. And I think that'll just keep getting better as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, it it uh, it comes off uh, really seamlessly on the air. So, I, I mean, to me, it looks like it doesn't matter, you know, who who who, who the color analysts are. Uh, it, it, it still works or, or who the hosts are, uh, right. uh, by the way. I mean, I know you, uh, it's 160, 160, uh, two game season, but, uh, you work what, like 130, 140 of those. Yeah, probably right, right around there. Jim Cosimore does the other ones kind of Friday and Saturday days. So yeah, we even get, we get breaks every once in a while too. Yeah. It's a long season. So, uh, you know, typical, uh, say summertime games when uh, you know the, the the games start at seven fifteen and the and the the, the pre games at six and the the post games right after the game. What are your days like? You know what what time do you get into the studio? What time do you start writing? How does all that go down? So they're they're pretty much all day long, which is um, it's gotten tougher. I have a, I have a three year old and a and a one year old, and I remember back before I had kids. 
I, I knew what was going on. I was on Twitter all day. I knew everything that was going on. And I would get into work, and I would I would see people that didn't know what was going on. I'd go, what's wrong with you? How do you not know that? That was on Twitter like three hours ago. And now I'm that guy a little bit where like, I go, wait, when did that happen? Um, but we, I try to be as tuned in um, as much as I can early on. We have uh, we, we go on this uh, app. It's Slack. It's just kind of like a messaging uh, system within our, our company. Other companies use it as well. Yep. It's just basically a message board. You can just um, write ideas. And we do that a lot. We try to help out our producer by just writing ideas. Oh, I'm thinking this. I'd like to do this. Um, other employees chime in as well as with great ideas on there, too. So we really start going as soon as we wake up, and even the night before if we have an idea that we want to do for pregame there. So we're doing that all day. Uh, when I get in, is right around 3 o'clock, um, maybe a little after if the previous night was an 11-inning game or something like that. But I get in around right. 3 o'clock. The rundown's in. We have a, a meeting around 4 o'clock with the analysts there just to go over the show basically of, of what's in the show kind of what directions we can take it, how much time we have to discuss uh, each element there. And sometimes we'll even hash out um, other ideas and, and the show will change a little bit in that meeting. Um, but for the most part, uh, the, the meat and the bones and, and, and everything are, are set by that 4 o'clock meeting. And then it's just preparing. I, I, find, I found it very, with an hour show, um, I find that I take that preparation all the way up until basically showtime i mean they we have a call over the intercom that's five minutes before showtime they want us in the studio and they're always yelling at me to get in there just because i feel like i'm trying to take all that time um with an hour show you're talking about the other team starting pitcher you're talking about a guy in their lineup you're talking about a guy in your lineup and you just want to feel like there's never a moment where you have nowhere to go and there's nothing interesting to talk about there because you can come up with a question easy it's a lot harder to come up with an interesting question on the spot so in that pre-game show meet, in that preparation, I just like to try to find a lot of interesting ways that I could go. And honestly, sometimes it's frustrating. I get to maybe 10 or 20% of them. You know, I just, we just don't have time to get to uh, sometimes areas where I'd like to get to. Um, but I'd rather have that preparation. And, and sometimes I can use it in the post-game show as right. well. Um, so, so then we get to the game, and the game goes, you know, three hours, and we come on for the post-game show. The post-game show, the, the preparation is not as much as the pre-game show, which is kind of crazy thinking that the post-game show is much more viewed than the pre-game show. Um, but we're just reacting. We're basically just, right. just not – sometimes you can't prepare for what you're about to talk about uh, in, in the post-game show. I remember there was one time when we were doing a game, and I forget who they were playing, but it was a controversial strike-three call on Joe Panic to end the game. And we had our elements all laid out. But once the game ended, they come to us in 45 seconds, and I just started talking about how I can't wait for the day for an automated, you know, robo-strike zone. <laughs> and Tim Flannery was sitting right next to me and was having none of it. Uh, he, he just he would rather have talked about the game, anything but an automated strike zone and trying to change the game in that regard. Um, so we, we had an interesting back and forth um, right there, right off the top of the show, which obviously couldn't have been planned, and there's no, no meeting or anything like that that uh, is going to, prepare you for that moment uh, that's just like you said before the chemistry uh, so the post game show is much more reactionary you still come up with your segments within an hour show but um but yeah we go for for an hour after the end of the game and then we're basically out of there no really post show meeting um may say a few words to the producer but everyone's trying to get home because that hour pregame show is going to sneak up on you pretty quick the next day <laughs> so it's it's the, it's the hamster wheel but it, it's fun and 
and you feel like there's nothing that happens with this team that you're not privy to and you're not you don't have an opinion on just because you're in it every single day. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I will, uh, I will get the get the real skinny from you right here, but I, I've got to think that uh, that being in the Pacific time zone is a better hamster wheel than being on the, you know, covering baseball and maybe like waiting around to do quick pitch when you're yeah. on the East Coast and West Coast games haven't finished. Uh, so when when uh, when you were on MLB Network, I, I guess I was like uh, 2011, 2012, in in, in that range. Yeah. Um, that was sort of my peak TV viewing. In general, and I, I watched a, a ton of MLB Network then, so I was very familiar uh, with your work. And so I was happy for you when you uh, when you got the the San Francisco gig. Uh, but I did wonder, like, uh, what what part of you know, kind of waiting around at what was maybe like three or four a.m. your time in New Jersey, what part that uh, that played in, in in making you move west? For sure, no, it was it was it was difficult, and there were some. You know, because me and my wife lived in Princeton, too, and the studios are in Secaucus there, so an hour away. Um, my wife worked in Philadelphia, or just around Philadelphia. So she would go an hour south in the morning. I would go an hour north at, like, 5 p.m. to start my day. Um, so we didn't see each other that much for those two years. But, yeah, it, it was difficult. I, I tell my wife all the time it's going to be really hard to get me to ever move away from the West Coast just because of the time difference. I just, I mean, I just like it. Yeah. I like yeah, it Particularly that much. for baseball. Totally. I, yeah, I like it that much. And you get some in NFL football at 10 a.m. every week. You know, I, I just I like it uh, that much. But, yeah, I, that, that was difficult. And I, I think, you know, I really enjoyed my time at MLB Network. I grew so much as a broadcaster. I was so freaked out when I first started there and I just got more comfortable as I, as I went. Um, but, um, but it was, it was hard and I, I really don't, you know, Heidi Watney has been doing it now for I think four years now. And I give her a lot of credit because I felt like after, after two years, I felt like, you know, I could have maybe done it one more year, but I just would have been so burned out just working so late because you go, you go till two most nights and that's the minimum you're going to go. And then you're going to have games like giants game seem that just go a little bit later um, then you're going to have fixes, and there were a lot of nights where I wasn't rolling into home in Princeton until 3:30 in the morning. So, so yeah, so I, I really enjoyed my time there. But when my contract came up after two years, I just thought, you know, what what else is out there? And I and I always had worked in local news, and I did kind of miss that that local element to to TV, where you just felt like you lived in the area where everyone was was watching what you did and cared about what you did and you kind of had a feel for who your viewer was and so all that all that definitely contributed to me moving out west which I had no idea I was going to do um, because me and my my wife so we are my agent said to me hey what do you think about moving west and both me and my wife said nah, I don't know it seems pretty expensive so we, <laughs> we dismissed <laughs> it and then two two weeks later I was I was moving out there so it's, it was a whirlwind but I, I really enjoyed it you know, I, I don't know how many people know what the uh, what the RSN Regional Sports Network landscape is like, but uh, I mean, it seems to me that uh, that in general, uh, what was C CSN Bay Area and what is now NBC Sports Bay Area is is definitely one of the the better gigs to get. Uh, can, can you talk about like, yeah, I mean, what 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 the competition was like, what that process was like to get the to get the uh, the initial job you had at uh, CSN Bay Area. Bear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know that I, I, I'm sure that we have the most properties of any of any regional, just because just because we have Kings basketball, Warriors basketball, Sharks hockey, A's baseball, 
Giants baseball, earthquake soccer. Um, so that right there just makes it appealing because of all the things you talk about in, in sports TV today, you know, studio shows, some people don't like them. You know, some people like the live event. Obviously, everyone likes the live events. But, you know, the live events just you feel are so secure. And so 100% I felt like, you know, Bay Area was, was the place to be as far as job security standpoint, as far as just just to be able to do a lot of things. You know, if nothing else, you're just you, you're able to, to cover basketball. I was able to do that and cover the Warriors uh, championship parade and cover a Giants championship parade and all those, all those different things. So, yeah, it was competitive, but I, I'll tell you what, it, it's so funny. When you start out in this business, and I think it's – I'm sure it's still this way even though it's changing so much – it's so hard to get that that first gig, and I was sending out a hundred. I did. I sent out 150 resume tapes before I even got a nibble right next down the road in Lansing, Michigan, about about an on-air job um, back in 2003. So it's so competitive to get in, but I do feel like once you're in and once you've proven yourself and once you have a track record, it's not as hard to to move around and move up just because people can trust you now and people have seen you and. And I think that was a huge benefit of going to MLB Network is that people saw that I, I could do it for an hour and do it nightly. Yep. And so once I did that, you know, it wasn't the, getting the job, uh, even at, get, at MLB, wasn't as hard as I feel like getting my first job because I just felt like you just have no track record and you're just trying to convince people that you deserve a shot when there's not necessarily any evidence that you do. Yeah, well, I, you know, certainly it seems to me that uh, that uh, NBC Sports Bay Area has has treated uh, both both you and Feldy kind of like royalty. I mean, you, you they they do a lot of promotion for you guys. You get to do the cool commercials with Buster and the other Giants. Uh, what's that been like for you to 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 be like embraced and promoted that heavily in a I mean, in a huge market? It's a it's it's a dream. It's it's a, the dream of I think anyone on TV is that you feel like. They put some promotion behind you. They put obviously money behind you, and they they care too. When I got I got hired by Ted Griggs, um, who's now in Stamford, Connecticut, at the, at the mothership for NBC, um, and he that that was just the vibe. It was just like we're going to take care of you, we're going to promote you, we're going to make this big, and we're going to do everything that we can, and we're going to support you in, in doing that. So. And, and I don't know how much of it is an extension too of just the, the Bay Area, and I just really find myself enjoying that that vibe and the way they consume sports in the Bay Area. Uh, yeah. As I feel different as well, it's where you don't get the you don't necessarily get the negativity that you get elsewhere, especially you know maybe Northeast, especially in a place like like Philadelphia, which is passionate fans, and you want that passionate fans, and and they have passionate fans in the Bay Area as well. But I just feel like it's a different kind of. Of, of vibe there where it's when the team's not doing well you don't necessarily get the anger you get more of the sadness and the ambivalence to to everything right. um but but ted, ted except sure except maybe with the 49ers which you don't broadcast. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true <laughs> that's true that's that that's a whole different deal that that might not be uh all uh towards the, the players on the field it might be that owner's box up uh up yep. top of Levi yep. stadium but but yeah um but but yeah so so i feel like from day one they've said we're going to try to make this the biggest thing we do, and this is the most important thing we do. And and they haven't just said that to me. I think they make sure every employee feels that way, is that what they're doing is is the most important thing and can really help us all pull in the same direction. But, um, yeah, to do all the commercials and to, to have that promotion, it's it's been great. And, and it just gives you the feeling that that you've got support to be creative and to, to take risks at times and to do things that other people aren't doing. And it's 
and you feel like you have that 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 those liberties to do that just because you have the support. And so yeah, I, it's it's been a great place to work. I think it's the it's been the best place that I've that I've worked at, and I hope that that continues for years to come. Well, so far so good. Uh, so one thing I wanted to ask you was. Uh, even even though it's a down year, and I'm I, you know I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm not going to see any ratings releases for the Giants games or or pre and post game uh, during a season like this, but I actually imagine that the ratings for both the games and the pre and post game are still you know pretty pretty well viewed given that they're 20 games below 500, and uh, San Francisco is kind of a kind of a weird market in that you know uh, because maybe maybe it's corporate ticket sales or whatever. But I mean, the stadium is still nearly sold out every day, if if not sold out. Uh, and there's always a big crowd there, uh, even 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 when they're you know having a a season like this one. What's that like for you as someone who covers the Giants? You know that you know where the games are always well attended. You know there are always people that say, "Hey, Tuesday." Uh, right. w- what's what's you know what what do you see the how do you view the San Francisco market? I guess as a baseball town. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's. You know, people have told me that the 49ers, when they're going well, they're they're number one. But as long as I've been at, I've been there for four years now. It's just the the Giants have gotten that that unwavering support, and I think they're going to be sold out the rest of the year um, because they have 30, 31,000 season ticket holders. So I mean, right. they they just have so many people on a waiting list that goes on and on and on and on too. So just so many people have invested for so long in this team that that interest is, is just not going to go away just because they're not having a great year. And I almost think that that, you know, it adds to a wrinkle in the, in the story about this team. It's how do they come back from this? And now you got some young guys. And so I, I do think that people are still interested in it. Now, what the, what the numbers are going to be, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, a couple of things obviously working against is that some of the games have been blowouts and going to yeah. an hour before and after the game. So I don't know what the numbers will be. I see them every once in a while on a, you know, day by day basis, but I don't know for the, for the trend, but I, you know, it's, it it's going to be interesting to see that when the, the year is done. I think the Warriors too took a lot of attention away from the Giants, maybe at a time that was good for the team yep. when they were struggling at, uh, at the beginning there too. So, yeah, but there's you're right. There's definitely still every time we go out to the ballpark for for the say hey Tuesday and we're there, there's people behind our set. Even they had a game that finished up at midnight a couple weeks ago and we had probably about 30 40 people behind us when that game uh, game ended. So you know, everyone wants to do something that people that they feel like people care about and I think the Giants will be that way for forever in this area just because people have been ingrained with it and it goes back to even when at the candlestick days and, and hearing yep. about it and hearing people talk about it when the team was not good for a long time and it was rough to go to a game and you know you'd get frostbite just by sitting in there for five or six or seven innings um but people cared and, and people were interested and it was it was this town's team and and i think that's that's a huge part of, of covering the giants and that was a huge draw for me into, into wanting to do it and being excited when they asked me to do it is that so many people care even in a down year it, it, there the interest is is there for this team right uh, okay so let's talk about if we can uh say hey tuesday for a minute so say hey yeah. tuesday is uh uh during the the summer when the giants play at home on tuesday nights uh the the pre and post game coverage uh comes from the outside the stadium i think it's in willie mays plaza and uh and uh, is live with uh, you know fans in the background. So I, I'm going to disclose I'm not a huge fan 
of Say Hey Tuesday. It has nothing to do with you and Feldy. Uh, it feels to me like a product that is designed for the, you know, the dozens or hundreds of people at the stadium more so than for the uh, for the people at home watching on TV. But my question for you is: Is it fun for you to do for for you to do it live uh, and and be out there among the fans, or is it actually harder because it's loud and you know you're trying to do a broadcast? It's it's both. You know, it, it it takes you out of your element. Sometimes you feel your analysis isn't as sharp as it would be in a controlled environment of a studio. Your producer's back in, in the studio and you're down the street, and so it, some communication issues arise at times. So I, I think it's both. I think there are times where I, I get through a segment and I say, man, I could have done that a whole lot better if I was in studio. But at the, at the same time, like we talked about before, 162 games, and I think you need that variety every once in a while just to keep everyone sane and make it, the days feel a little different not every day running into the next day. Um, I like the, you know, my, my favorite part of it is that in studio, doing studio shows and TV shows, you can talk to your analysts, your co-host, and the camera, and the crew, and that's about it. I yep. think a really important element is being with the people who watch your program and talking to them and hearing what they like and what they may not like and things, the segments, you know, the, the segments they talk about when we talk to people and the things that they talk to us about sometimes are not the things that I would think that they would talk to us about. And the things that resonate with them that we've done before, like the commercial with Brandon Belt and his belt, um, we've done a couple of them with, with Buster Posey, the the, the, the Brandon, Brandon Belt, 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 yeah. Belt giveaway. <laughs> yeah. So many people come up and talk to us about that um, that you just wouldn't wouldn't guess. So, and I think that's really important. You know, I, I've done some Facebook Live, some Periscope on social media where you can interact directly with you know as directly as you can over social media with a fan where they can get the responses in real time and you can actually have an interaction there. And then say Hey Tuesdays, you are talking face to face with the people who watch your product the most. I think that's so important because I think we make a lot of decisions about what we do on TV without ever looking at a fan right in the face or without ever talking to the people who watch it the most. And so right. those days I really appreciate being able to be there and just, just hang around the people who watch our show because they're they're the ones that we're trying to sell every day that, that, that it's worth their while to stick with us an hour after the game or tune in an hour before the game. And so if we don't know what they're thinking, then, then we're, we're lost. So I think in that respect, and that's not even talking about the TV on-air product, in that respect, sure. I, en I enjoy it. That's, that's, I enjoy it more than uh, most things we do. Well, I, I mean, as an on-air product, I guess, you know, my, my primary complaint would be the, how, just how close uh, the people are behind the set. And yeah. uh, it's, it's as a viewer, it's often just very distracting. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was a season ticket what I'll do, holder. What I'll do in the future is maybe a couple of times I'll just yell at Ruben <laughs> to take 10 steps back, like mid-show. <laughs> I'll just say, <laughs> I'll hey, say back everyone up, people. Say, yeah, everyone back up 10 steps real quick. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robert says back uh, up. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely not Robert's rules uh, for right. sure. But uh, and I look, I get I mean, I was a season ticket holder for nine years and spent hundreds of hours at that place. Uh, I get part wanting to make the stadium, you know, a part of the set because it is a it is a big deal. as stadiums go and it, it is a it is a fantastic place. Uh, and and uh, I, I totally get wanting to have, you know, the stadium and the crowds and the palm trees and all of it on camera. Right. Uh, and I, you know, I hadn't really considered that, uh, you get it, you know, that is your chance. Like, you know, when you're not on the air, uh, you know, to actually, uh, 
to actually mingle and talk to fans uh, and get their feedback. And I hadn't considered that and how valuable uh, that might be for you. So that, that does make a lot of sense to me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and just, and I get it too. I think sometimes after losses, it's even worse where, you know, that it's a, maybe a gutting loss. And I've seen it before when, when Greg Papa back and did the, the post game show. And then you have fans just goofing around in the, in the background. But, um, you know, sometimes, Sometimes that can be some pretty entertaining TV where you're, you're frustrated with the uh, with the people behind you, but you're definitely watching it. <laughs> what, what that idiot, what that idiot standing behind Sean Estes is going to do next? <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I'm not that guy. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, under, I understand that that, that there, there are guys who who there are people who watch TV and they want to see what the idiot behind Sean Estes is going right. to do next. I am not that viewer. Yeah. I'm definitely right. not that viewer. Noted. Uh, Noted. So so, uh, but but still, I mean. Uh, I, I watch a fair amount, even, even, even during say, Hey Tuesdays, I have uh, seen a, a fair amount of the, the, the pre and post game. And it's, it's really like, particularly I give, I give Flannery credit cause he can have fans literally yelling in his ears and he's going to get his point out and he's going to not be distracted by anything going on around him. So, uh, to, so, so to, just to see the focus you guys put on. Uh, when, when, when all that's going on, it, it is interesting to watch. It's like uh, a player. What, it's like a player almost where you, you, and that you hear it all the time, right? They don't hear anything when they're up to the, up to the plate. You know, it's kind of the same way when we're doing our segment, it, you really don't tune hear it all it. out. Um, but when the commercial happens, you definitely hear the, uh, the hecklers. It's funny, but someone was heckling, uh, Matt Williams earlier this year. It was like a, it was like a <laughs> month ago. I think we were at, and that's not the guy you want to heckle of all our analysts and hosts. <laughs> Matt Williams is not the guy you want to heckle. And I forget what it was. It was, it was Richie and, and Matt, and someone was yelling, Richie, oh, you're great, we love you. Um, true Giant, Matt, you left us, and, and which is absurd because, you know, he was <laughs> traded. And so it was like he yeah. was so, – um, but, but Matt, it was a commercial break, and Matt, <laughs> Matt heard it, and he goes, what? And he turns around, and he gets it because we had like three minutes or something like that. He unplugs his IFB, gets out of his seat, and he goes, hey, come here. Let's talk for a second. <laughs> And the guy just bolted. He bol- the guy just started running, and he goes, "No, seriously, come back here." Um, and he started. He just started going. So yeah, you don't hear it during the uh, when you're talking during the show, but right when that commercial happens, you definitely hear it. And unfortunately for that fan, Matt Matt heard everything you said. You know, it, it's funny how you you and. Uh, you get impressions of, of, of players and coaches uh, just from watching on TV. Cause you know, just from like watching Matt Williams as a, uh, as the manager of the nationals, you know, the last couple of years, he always looked miserable whenever I saw him and, uh, and, uh, and Flannery, uh, I, I wouldn't ever, ever have said that Flannery looked miserable doing anything. Uh, but, um, he, he wasn't at all what I thought he would be on TV. So both of these guys are, I, I, I find them to be tremendous, uh, as, as TV talents, uh, in the, in the, in the pre and post. And I know Flannery also does, uh, does some MLB network stuff as well. Um, uh, do you have a sense like when you're, when you're talking to players and coaches, like who, who would be good at, at doing this on TV and who wouldn't, or, or are you, are you as sometimes as surprised as I am? You know, you do kind of get a sense just if how, you know, I think it all comes down to how guarded is this person and how, and are they going to be able to talk that way when the cameras are on? You know, so, so it's, it, when you talk to Flannery, you just, you immediately get the impression that this is a guy that's going to tell it like it is and he's going to, 
he's going to speak his mind, and he really doesn't care if he's doing it on camera, off camera, in the newsroom. He's kind of telling the same stories no matter where he is. Um, and so it becomes very apparent very quickly once he goes on camera and he's able to continue to be the same guy that he was when you were talking to him in the newsroom that he's going to be good at it. So so I guess to answer your question, you can kind of see half of it. You know, if if the guy's able to have a loose conversation with you off the air, that's half the battle. And then the other half of the battle is being able to continue to do that on the air. Um, so and, and Matt's, Matt's been that way. I, I don't think a whole lot of people knew what Matt was going to be like, because I think you're right. He was very serious. As a, he's still very serious as a, as a manager. But it's funny. Like, he, will, he has as much fun as, as anyone. And, you know, we had the, the failed wheel of victory at the beginning of the year that got voted <laughs> off the show after, after a month. When we, when we said, you know what, we've got to send this down and rethink everything, <laughs> uh, Matt Williams goes, hey, what if you bring it into an office and I'm the one that sends it down to the minor leagues? And we go, that's perfect. Let's, let's do it. Um, and so, so Matt's been so much fun to work with, and I think he's coming back here and maybe next week or the week after, and we, he hasn't been on for a while, so it'll be fun to see him him back there but but yeah that's i think that's surprising because i wouldn't have thought that with him even after meeting him and talking to him um but he's been great but yeah i think it's just the how how genuine can they be and i I give tim a lot of credit because i think he's been very honest about this team this year and genuine i sean estes i feel like has been the same way rich really has been the same way um which can be really hard because you know the giants own a portion of our network and there's those close relationships and you yeah. know people and you're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings so this has really been a challenge to them in a lot of respects to have that authenticity and i think they've really really done a good job of that we're at the same time not bearing a, a guy or a team but but speaking to the the issues that are that are happening right now so I, I, there, here's a question I wanted to ask you and complete, had completely forgotten about. So, uh, the series before the, the last homestand in San Francisco was a, a, a three game set in Detroit. Uh, and I, I wondered, did, did, did you lobby to, to join the booth for that? Because they had, you know, basically they hooked up uh Kipe with some guy from Detroit and I apologize, yeah. Brian, jo- Brian Johnson, you were very good uh, yeah. on the, uh, on the telecast, but, but, but that, you know, was there any chance for you to do that? Because I, I wonder, like, hey, he's from Michigan and he's going to go home anyway. Why not send Why not send Ahmed to uh, to Detroit to do the game with Kipe? Right. No, I didn't. I didn't lobby that. You know, I, in a weird, I don't have that much desire to get into the booth, and maybe I will have to in a few years when all the studio shows go away. Um, but, um, but I. I, I I, I haven't had that desire. I had that desire when I first thought about getting into TV, maybe back in high school. But I, I really enjoy the the elements of doing a show, reacting. I, I, in a weird, I, yeah. So no, I guess the, the short answer, the answer to your question, no. no, I didn't. I didn't lobby for it. And actually, that I'm, I'm glad I didn't because in the middle game of that series, Sean and I and Alex Pavlovich were all in San Jose at the Giants game. Oh, that's right for Mad Bum. Madison Bumgarner's, which didn't go as well for him as he was hoping with the nine runs given up to a Rancho Cucamonga, uh, Munga there. But uh, but I I enjoyed doing that a lot. You know that was a, that was a different hole that we we carry basically his his rehab start live in the post game show, um, which I thought was different and I thought was great for us and and opens up possibilities of us doing similar things in the future. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to be part of that because I feel like that's a, that's an area that we can definitely get better at. And 
you know, to, to have live events and to have live coverage within your, your post-game show on remote in different places and in places that matter, I think is a pretty interesting idea. And so I was actually glad that I got to do that. Although coming back to Michigan and seeing Comerica Park would have been cool, but I am going there on, on Friday to see a game anyway. So I'm getting that. Um, I'm getting that too, Robert. Okay. There you go. So, so you, you, you bring up kind of a, and I, I think you're doing it in jest, a sort of a post-apocalyptic, there will be no studio shows, uh, you know, maybe a few years, as soon as a few years down the road. Do, how, how, how strongly do you really feel that way? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't believe, I don't believe that, but I just say that just to prepare for the worst. You know, you always prepare for the worst, but uh, no, I, you just look at the, the national trends on, on studio shows and you look at the, the viewing habits on studio shows and, and you do have to be worried, but you also have to think like, okay, well, what, what does the, what does the fan want here? What does the fan need? You know, what do they want and what do they need? How much do they need? Um, do they watch a three hour game and, and do they need uh, an hour of, of analysis afterwards? Maybe they want it sometimes though. And it's, if it's available there, that's, that's good for them. So, no, I think I'm just like everyone else where you try to think where where it's all moving, um, and we're faced with that every day. I mean, there have been changes at NBC Sports Bay Area over the last year with getting rid of the highlight show and, and trying to create just more digital digital media, try to on-demand where people are when they're uh, available to view, uh, view your stuff. And I, That's the one hardest thing that I think I've, I've come into with this show is that you know, you hear, you know, how you got to connect with the younger viewer, the younger viewer that's on Facebook. And so you, you tailor your, your programming a little bit, your on-air TV programming to hopefully reel in a younger viewer. The worry is that you're just going to end up alienating the people who watch you yep. trying to capture a viewer that was never going to watch anyway. You know, and I think about that every week of, of how do we, how do we stay current and how do we stay ahead of the curve and how do we bring people the future of television, but at the same time, not try to chase people who aren't going to watch anyway and alienate the people who, who love our product already. So then that's, that's the whole, I think that's the whole TV industry is going through that right now. Um, and so when I say, yeah, studio shows will be gone. Yeah, that's in jest. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, what do people want? What do people need? And, and we're still trying to kind of figure that out for this year and, and 10 years into the future. Yeah. So uh, I think, it's inter- it's an interesting uh interesting question nationally uh nationally i think you know the 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 studio shows are under enormous amounts of pressure uh and uh you know obviously i guess with the since since they jettisoned the uh what was it sportsnet central the highlight right. show right. uh that the you know that highlights weren't weren't working on a national or a regional level but i have to think like uh Pre pre and post for the for at least the Giants and the Warriors is a safe haven for many many years to come. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm just being a, a rare a, a rare outburst of optimism on my part, but uh, I'm optimistic that uh, that uh, those those shows will be around for years to come. Yeah, no, and and I, and I think so. I think so too. And and we've talked about that as a company too. Of those are we have those properties locked up for a long time, and we're always going to have pregame. We're always going to have postgame. It just might look different, but we'll have those those around it. And I, I agree with you. And I think that's one of the huge appeals of of working at a regional, a place like um, like Bay Area, is just that they have so many properties, and those pregame shows are going to be and postgame shows are going to be extensions because you're always going to want 
instant reaction. That's what we can that's what we can provide is that we're there instantly reacting with credible sources right after the game that you just watched and 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 you, you just can't really get that any anywhere else. So so yeah, I, I, I like our our future with that and I think we can keep improving upon what we have. Like I, I really do enjoy doing the hour after the game because sometimes I, I we get it. People aren't gonna make it necessarily through that whole hour. But there sure. are some days where maybe they will, you know, and so and maybe that's a lot of days when the team's rolling and, and we're having fun and we're having some good segments there. So I think there's still learning to be to be done with with how we 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 shape our programming and how we we do it to be both smart and and, and give it to the widest uh, audience that we can. But um, but we're we're in a good place and we're in a safe place, especially with what the Warriors have done lately in the history of the three and five years with the Giants. We're I think we're in a really good place with with where we are, but at the same time, you can't just, you can't rest on that. You can't just say, oh, you know what, people love the Giants, and they'll stick around for whatever you do after the Giants game. I don't think you can just tell yourself that. I think you always have to be trying to think, okay, let's make it worth their while. Okay, we know they're Giants fans, and they'll probably stick around just to hear Madison Bumgarner talk about his start, but let's be smart about it, and let's give them something even more on top of that, and I think we owe that. We owe that to the viewer for their loyalty, and their their being a fan um, of this team. We owe it to them to try to think of of ways to make our, our show more relevant every day. Right. Uh, any, any early learnings from your, uh, you know, playing around with Facebook live and, and, uh, you know, your, your, your interactions on Twitter with, uh, with various fans. Have you, have you learned anything out of that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, to start because you feel like you're just talking to no one and you you just say, why am I even doing it? Um, but you have to, you have to just do it and you have to do it constantly to make it, to make it grow, to make it worth your while eventually. And, you know, you'll look back on it. I'm so glad I, I had no, I, I've been on Twitter for a while and I've been doing that since I, I basically got big into it at MLB network and grew my uh, following there and then grew it a lot more once I got to the regional level in the Bay area just because people kind of saw me as, okay, this is a guy that's covering Giants and Warriors every day. I like those two teams. I'm going to follow him now. And so I, I grew even more once I got to the regional level with my Twitter account than I did right. when I was at MLB Network. Um, but I would, just, I would just do it a lot, and I would just force myself, even when I didn't feel like it, to during games, to tweet, to try to think of stuff relevant to talk about, to be honest and, and share opinions throughout the day if I, if I had them and try not to – not to be too, you know, try to be candid with with what I was thinking during that day. And so, Twitter was was easier for me to grow. Facebook, I had no presence with until a couple of years ago, when our company came to a lot of us and said, "Hey, we're we're not great on Facebook right now. Can you try to build up your personal page?" And so, I did, and I just started started posting, and then. Their algorithms picked up some of the stuff that was Giants-related, that was Warriors-related. I started to get more people to follow it that way. And now I look at it as me two years later is so happy that me two years ago tried to do it and started it Um, because you have to do that at one point. You have to go through that kind of awkward first few months where you just feel like this isn't even worth it because no one's even reading what I'm writing and watching what I'm putting out. Because in two years, you'll thank yourself that you did that. Because now I think, you know, I, I don't have a huge following on Facebook. I think it's like 8,500. Um, but still, you, you can spark a debate, and I can get, you know, 30,000 impressions with, with a conversation on the Giants' bullpen now. And those are 30,000 people that 
two years ago weren't interacting with me and our company at all. So that I think that's the number one thing I've learned, Robert, is that you just you just need to do it even when it feels like it's not even worth your time to do it. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a great advice I think in general because I I can tell you I I have. Uh, I couldn't figure out Facebook, so I didn't bother. Uh, and I regret that I couldn't figure it out and didn't bother. Uh, uh, so that, you know, I, what I hear you saying is, yeah, you, you just got to do it anyway. And uh, and I regret not doing that. So uh, I, I might take that as a uh, as as a challenge to go try and do it again. Uh, Ahmed, uh, can can you talk? So, I, you know, I, I quickly, I think, before talking to you, I, I read your uh, your Wikipedia entry, which I'm pretty sure either you wrote or Feldy wrote. Uh, how, how how much truth to the uh, high school quarterback uh, Wendy's Burger Flipper stuff? <laughs> so so I don't know who's writing it. Someone's one of my friends is definitely changing stuff on there because at one point they had that I wore Rex Specs in high school to play basketball, which was true. You know, so that had to be a close friend. Um, but then the Wendy's burger flipper was not true. And so I feel like that was, I don't know who, who did that one. Um, but I, but yeah, it was a growing up in Sparta, Michigan was a, was a high school quarterback and Feldy always jokes. He's like, yeah. And who was your coach? And I go, yeah, my dad was my coach. He was like, yeah, he would have been third <laughs> string without his, his dad as the coach. But, uh, um, but yeah, I did that. Grew up playing sports, football. I grew up, uh, playing, I played shortstop in high school. And until I couldn't make the throw anymore, I got I got the the yips a little bit, and then I they had to move me over to second. It was a much easier throw over there, um, but there it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to to get into you know, professionally or even at the college level any athletic uh, endeavor. So I was like, oh, well, the next best thing is to talk about it and to do it. And and in, in a funny way, I I've always liked you know I've loved sports my whole life and I've I've followed them and I find them very interesting and I'm just curious about the storylines and what goes into it and um the people that that make it happen but at the same time and I think anyone that gets into this business it's it's about video and it's about making TV if you were to ask me what what do you love more what do you find more interesting making interesting TV for a a mass amount of people or or sports I would say I think making interesting TV for a lot of people is, is really intriguing to me. And so everyone says like, oh yeah, you just sports junkies, they can go into TV, that's a great avenue for you. I think you also have to have that love of, of making TV and producing TV and, right. and making a product that other people are going to find enjoyable and that adds value to their day. And so I think it's it's a perfect combination of, of both of those for me. But uh, but yeah, started started in sports. Couldn't make the throw from shortstop. Got into TV. That's the that's the short version. <laughs> uh, well, a little bit of the longer version. So you you went to Newhouse, correct? Correct. Yep. And and uh, and that is a you know I, I you know it's one certainly one of the I think arguably one of the top two schools for media people. Uh, and but but even after that, you still had to. What did you say? You sent out 150 resumes uh, when you when yeah you first getting yeah going? I sent out 150 and I yeah one to Augusta Georgia and I called the news director and I said, did you get my tape? And he goes, I, I don't know. I have 200 tapes on my desk. I have no idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not encouraging to start out with. Ah. But yeah. And, and did did you know in high school already that you wanted to do TV, or was that something that came along while you were at uh, Newhouse? I knew in high school that I wanted to do it, um, and so that was a big part of the reason for going to trying to seek out uh, Bob Costas, you, Mike Tirico, 
you was that you, you felt like they could give you a, a good a good base and and they did you know and i i think at, even at that time it was it was pretty early on um, I th- they they have so much more now they built another new house building there in Syracuse i was just there over the winter um for the first time in like 15 years and it's they've built it up so much more and there's so many more programs now than they even had when when i went there in 1999 through 2002 so um but they what they what they would basically do is give you a camera they gave me a camera and they said go go do it just do it and that would be our class and we have a newscast class and they would say just do it okay you're going to be here for 4 hours you're going to write your stories and you're going to go on TV and you're going to you're going to talk you're going right. to pretend like you're already doing it um and so i think that's what newhouse was doing probably before a lot of the other places out there was it wasn't just theory and talking about it and and hearing lectures from professors that had done it before it was actually just going out there and producing your own work right away immediately and i did that for my sophomore year all the way through my senior year um and then by the time you get done you feel like you have a pretty good tape not good enough to get a job in augusta georgia but still a, a pretty <laughs> decent enough uh, a decent enough tape to where you can go and i got an internship and a kind of a job shadow after that in grand rapids and I was a sports photographer for basically six months, a year after uh, graduation, just trying to get on air until finally someone says, okay, we'll give you a chance and uh, we'll give you a one-year contract and we'll pay you $20,000. So good good luck. And it's, it's, it's sink or swim from that point, that point forward. But I felt like Newhouse gave me all the tools that I needed to know what I was going to have to do to be successful once I got that job. And, and, and once I did get that job, it was all, all the tools kicked in right there. And, and you just felt like you felt like you could do it. And you felt like you knew what you had to do to, uh, to move on at that point. And, it, and it's worked. This podcast is brought to you by the, what's the official name? The Newhouse School of. Yeah. SI Newhouse School of yeah Public Communications. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Ahmed, uh, thanks so much for joining the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports tv ratings yeah robert i love listening to it i love listening to the uh the tv industry and the trends and everything like that so uh so keep it up even if the numbers aren't great right now keep it up i'm sure they are great but keep it up and uh and keep going because i really enjoy listening to it thanks again to ahmed farid for joining the podcast and uh, not just for not hanging up when i revealed i wasn't a huge fan of say hey tuesdays I appreciated how genuine Ahmed was in uh, talking about both what it's like to work uh, on the on the Giants pre and post game during something approaching a historically bad season for the Giants, uh, and also for his comments on uh, how even regional sports networks are rethinking highlight shows and studios. I found that uh, very interesting. Next time on the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings, uh, Ben Cafardo from ESPN PR, maybe. I still haven't uh, gotten the scheduling thing down quite right yet, uh, so it might be uh, Ben. It might be uh, Golf Channel slash NBC Sports producer Molly Solomon or maybe someone else, but uh, hopefully I at least got the uh, sound level issues fixed this week. Uh, please check out uh, past podcast guests, which include Aaron Solomon, who produces Around the Horn, Sports Illustrated's Richard Deitch, Sports Business Journal's Austin Karp and John Orand, and uh, Advertising Age's Anthony Krupe. Feedback is welcome and appreciated, whether about audio quality or the content itself. You can tweet it to me on Twitter via at Sports TV Ratings or email stvr at sportstvratings.com. 
And if I'm going to say that, then I'd have to t pick Al Leiter, too, because I'd like to work with him for one more day because I learned so much from Al when I was yeah, at, good. At, at MLB Network. He, he basically told me, Robert, he goes, he goes once, once you stop, once you stop giving a shit, then you're going to be really good. <laughs> you know, he says, you just don't care. You just go up there and you just talk and you don't, don't care how it sounds. Just go and, go and have fun with it.